I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Jenny McKinney. We learn how Jenny took her grief and turned it into what is now known as Marshmallow Ranch. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Welcome, Jenny. How are you? I'm very well, Kimberly. Thank you. Your story is amazing. Tell me a little bit about your husband. Well, I affectionately call him Mr. Virgo because um, I'm a Gemini and he was like so Virgo. When we would go into a store, um, he'd have to go a certain direction and walk the perimeter and then go up and down the aisle. So he didn't miss anything. He was such a Virgo. But he was a he was a wonderful, wonderful man. He was my third husband. And I figured the third time was the charm. Um, he was was everything I ever wanted in a partner. He was fun and funny and oh my God, drop dead gorgeous. I found him on Match.com and I tell people it was the best $29.95 I ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the day y'all decided to say, hey, let's don't wait until retirement. Let's let's go on an adventure now. Well, we had uh, been talking about retirement because he was 62. And we had decided that uh, obviously, I mean, life is just way too short to wait for retirement to have some fun. And um, he was not a real camper guy. Um, we On our honeymoon, we had actually purchased a tent and, and went on this month-long drive trip, and we were going to camp, right? Well, uh, the uh, four years later, the tent was still sitting in the box in the garage. I mean, we carted it with us as we stopped in bed and breakfast and hotel after hotel, but we never really got around to camping. So I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to have this adventure. And I knew my work was cut out for me. Well, he was a big golfer. So my way of kind of getting him into thinking this way was think of all the golf courses we can go to, sweetheart. And so that's what we ended up that's how he ended up saying oh yeah that sounds like a great idea and you 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 knew you had him i knew i had him once i talked golf yeah i knew <laughs> you know palm springs you know we're talking fun so i i knew i had him at that point and that particular day was an absolutely gorgeous spring early spring um colorado blue blaster sky day it was perfect. Uh, it was his second day off. He was always off on Mondays and Tuesdays. And um, that morning we got up and I said, why don't we go for a drive today? We'll go down to Grand Junction. We had just four days earlier purchased a Ford Expedition, so we'd have this big vehicle to take a camper. And uh, why don't we go down to Grand Junction and look at the campers and see what they've got down there? He said, that's a great idea. So we had a nice breakfast, and we meandered our way down to um, Grand Junction. And just before we got there, I almost 
something told me, let's just take off and go up here in the mountains and go for a drive, do that instead. But, you know, he said, no, let's just go ahead on down to Junction. I don't know, you know, one of these sixth sense kind of things, almost almost like I was avoiding going on down. But anyway, we got there and the guy said, you know, all of them are open. Just go walk through and figure out which one you want. If you have any questions, ask me. And we were glad to be left alone. But we got into the fourth one and I noticed that he was working his shoulder, his left shoulder. And I said, honey, what's what's going on with uh, with your arm, and he said uh, he kind of got a little short with me, and he, that's uh, totally out of character because we never in in the seven and a half years we were together, he never we never raised our voices to each other once. And uh, he says, "Well, I told you that I hurt my shoulder lifting my briefcase out of the car the other night," and uh, and I looked at him, and he he, I've been in medicine for forty two years. He didn't look good. He looked a little gray. He looked like maybe he wasn't feeling well. And I said, uh, why don't you sit down here for a second? Let's let's talk about this and see what's going on. And and so I'm asking him all these medical questions. And he was one that don't doctor me, don't don't mother me. You know, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But um, when I finally I said, you know, does it hurt anyplace else? No. You know, are you sweaty? Are you, you know, not, none of those things. But finally I said, do you think I need to take you to the doctor? And he said, um, yeah, I think maybe you'd better. Now, this is a man who, uh, if he says that you should take him to the doctor, you probably should have been there three weeks ago. Because this is a guy that had like three purple hearts and a bronze star. He doesn't, um, he doesn't complain. So I stood him up. I said, let's go. Let's get to the uh, doctor. And uh, he stood up and he goes, oh, my God, I'm dizzy. And um, and I uh, I made him sit back down and went again. Now, any place, does it hurt any place else? And he says, yeah, it hurts me right here. And I thought, oh, my God, because then I knew in his neck, you know, when you got pain in the neck and the jaw, I knew what we were dealing with was uh, coronary. And uh, so I made him sit and um, I said, I'm going to be right back. And I ran to the office and yelled, you know, call 911. And there were a couple burly guys in there. And there was a golf cart out front. I re- I came up and I said, you've got to get me back out there. They get me in the golf cart and get me back out there. And when I got out and I took one look at him and I knew, um, I knew where we were going. I mean, I knew in my heart of hearts that, um, that where w- this was going to end up. It was just, it was so horrendous. He, uh, we got him down on the floor and in case I needed to do CPR. And um, he was not responding to me. I put my hands out and I said, oh, my God, does anybody have any aspirin? And bam, a bottle of aspirin hits my hand. I mean, everything that could go right went right as far as trying to help him. I got aspirin in his mouth and I'm telling him, you've got to chew this up and swallow. And and uh, and uh, so he did. And I uh, got way down close to him and I said, um, I love you so much. And he said, I love you too. And that's the last thing he ever said to me. We got him in the in the ambulance, got him to the hospital, and they did CPR for three hours and got him into coronary um, cath, cardiac cath lab, worked on him for another hour. But he, you know, I knew he was, I knew he was gone. You just had a feeling. Yeah. So yeah. what, what is your medical background? 
I started out as an x-ray tech um, right out of high school. I went to x-ray school, quickly learned that that was very boring for me. So I worked in doctor's offices because you could do a number of different things and uh, eventually became a, a diabetes educator. And from that, um, I started doing clinical pharmaceutical research. So my last job was doing a very large um, drug study on MS. So when you saw the symptoms... You you knew you were you were oh, yeah. facing. Um, was that was was that harder t- knowing what was happening? Yes, because um, it, it's like uh, standing in a river and trying to hold the stream back. You know it's coming, but you can't hold it back. You can't stop it. Nothing in your power. So when you knew he was in the hospital, you had this gut feeling that he's he was going to pass away. Yeah. Yeah. Was anyone with you? There was, um, at the time that we were doing the CPR, the chaplain, the hospital chaplain, was standing with me. I had contacted, believe it or not, my ex-husband is an internist, and I had called him and said, you know, is there anything other than what I'm doing that I should be asking or looking for? And he told me, uh, you know, when when you're faced with this, you, you can't think. And I, he said, you really shouldn't be alone. You should call someone. And I, I remember now um, saying to him, I, I don't have any friends. I, I don't have anybody that I could call. It's crazy, you know, because there's a hundred people I could call. But at that moment, I, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody that I could call. But You were in a fog. I was in a fog, yeah. And possibly shock. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he suggested who to call. And I did. Uh, Unfortunately, she was four hours away, but she knew who to call. And um, so got uh, one of my best friends um, got to the hospital actually about 15 minutes before he died, before they pronounced him. So up until then, I was just there by myself with the chaplain. Bless your heart. And starting off a day and ending it like that. But we, we talked a little bit about you had some feelings that... Yes, I had premonitions uh, for about a week before he died. I had had uh, a couple of nights, um, in, uh, two nights in a row, I had a dream. I woke up from a dead sleep sitting up, um, absolutely convinced that I was going to reach my hand out and touch him and he was going to be gone. And when I turned, he was snoring softly and breathing fine. And I got up and splashed water on my face and got a drink and figured, you know, what the hell is going on here? And um, and then the day before, um, the day before he died on that Monday, he was always exhausted on Monday and he was stretched out on the couch. I was working in my studio upstairs and I came down and... Um, uh, as I got to the bottom of the steps, you could look over the back of the sofa, and I I peeked over at him, and he, he was laying there asleep with his mouth gaped open. You know how when you're just out, and the mouth gaped open, and this voice, as if there was someone standing right there beside me, this voice says to me, this is what he's going to look like when he's dead, and it was 
I wheeled around like there was somebody standing there. It just was so real. And I gasped. And of course, it woke him up. And he looks at me and smiles and, hey, baby doll, what's for lunch? You know, and I'm like going, holy crap, you know, how do I tell you what's going on here? I, I couldn't. And then the day we drove down to the, um, to the, uh, to look at the trailers, we were driving along and holding hands. That was always one of the um, um, cardinal um, marks of a good car is how comfortably you could hold hands while you're driving. And I always did the driving. He liked that. And uh, But we're about halfway there, and he picks my hand up, and he goes, oh, my gosh. He says, that's weird. I forgot to wear my watch today. Now, this is a man who slipped in his watch. The only time he would ever take his watch off is when he showered and he'd clean it off and put it back on. And immediately that voice right between us says he's going to die today. And, you know, four hours later he was gone. I almost wrecked the car. I mean, I, uh, what do you say to that? What do you do? You know, I, 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 it was, he, he's telling me, I look at him and he's telling me, oh, we need to stop at the store on the way home because I got to pick up some batteries or whatever. And, you know, what am I supposed to say? Well, you know, I, I, I really love to do that, but actually, you know, you're not going to be here. I, uh, you know, I don't know it, but it was very real. How did you go from being at his side, going through this whole thing and here you are, um, now he's he's passed away at the hospital. How did you process that? Even though you had some feelings, you don't, mm-hmm. I have feelings all the time and you don't, you just kind of disregard them. But what was it like, that grief, that process, how, what went on in your mind? It really is, um, you know, your brain shuts down, really. You go through motions. I felt like when I was, uh, well, they came out to tell me that he was gone. And um, I, I looked, I looked at the, uh, the cardiac surgeon and uh, immediately had such empathy for him because he looked like he had just run a marathon. He was sweating buckets. And uh, so my first reaction was to, <laughs> to comfort him and tell him, I know you did everything you could, because it's obvious, look at you, you know, you just look exhausted. And, um, and he, he said, they're going to clean him up. And, and then you can go in and see him. And my friend was there with me. And uh, we walked in with the chaplain and my friend. And um, uh, I remember um, holding back going down the the hall because I I just, you know, I didn't want to see. I just didn't want to see. And, uh, but I I walked in, I peeked my head around and he was lying there on the table and they had a, they had a clean sheet over him and uh, they had taken all the tubes out and everything. He was cleaned up. But the thing, it's, it's crazy what your mind does. Um, When, when he would, lay on the couch at night and we'd watch TV. I'd run my fingers through his hair. He had this gorgeous head of silver hair. And uh, when he would stand up, his hair would be all kind of slicked back. And I'd laugh at him and I'd say, oh my God, you look like Guido, you know, because <laughs> his hair was like, well, that's how they, they combed his hair when they cleaned him up. I mean, this is terrible to laugh about this. It's awful. But his hair was like all slicked back and I looked at him I'm, and I turned to them and I said, oh my God, he looks like Guido. Don't, do, you know, you've got to brush his hair. He doesn't brush his hair like that. You've got to brush it. So I'm brushing his hair. 
<laughs> I mean, that's so horrible. But your mind is just gone, you know. And and this life, this this wonderful, beautiful, perfect life that this man who carried my heart on a velvet pillow is uh, my my life just ended right there in front of me. My, I, I realized that everything I had planned, everything that we had experienced and all this joy that we were going to have together was gone in an instant. It was at my feet. It was shattered in a million pieces at my feet. And I just stood there overly concerned with his hair, but uh, shocked, just shocked. They did something interesting from a sociological standpoint. Uh, once I went in and I was able to talk with him for a little bit and kiss his forehead, they uh, they had his hand, his ring hand, his left hand, wrapped in a, um, a warm, uh, like a heating pad. And the gentleman that, who was helping in the clinic there said, you need to remove his wedding band. And I had never heard of anybody doing that before, but what it did was it snapped me too. It it brought me into the moment and and told me this is real. This is you know this is this is really happening. And I took his wedding band off and I put it on my necklace around my neck. And we all stood around him and held hands and said a prayer, because the priest couldn't get in. They were they they were using X ray. So he couldn't come in to to do the last rites before uh, or the rites of the sick before he died, and so we all stood around him and said a prayer and um, and sent him on his way, and that's how I started. So how did you get from ending your dream of this travel, this adventure with your love of your life, and then it was over? How did you motivate yourself? Am I going to go back and buy an RV or a trailer to go on this adventure alone? Talk to me a little bit about that journey. Okay. Uh, interesting. I remember probably the second night after he died, I was laying in bed with my iPad and I was looking at pictures of him and crying and processing. And and I, I thought to myself, you know, I've got to do something. I instinctively knew that I had to put something joyful out here in front of me so that I would have something to step towards. Some I had to have something joyful in front of me. Um, even though even maybe it was going to be a while before I could I could uh, enjoy it, I had to put something joyful in front of me. And um, I started thinking about that trailer and thinking about what we had been wanting to do. And um, we had had this ongoing argument, not an argument, but discussion. I wanted a vintage camper, one of those cute little ones, you know, that you can decorate up all foo-foo. And he's um, 6'2", and he wouldn't fit you know, his left leg in it, let alone, you know, be comfortable. And so we had, we, I lost that argument. We were looking at something really big. And, uh, but what had I remembered was there was a group of women who were, uh, it's an adventure group, an adventure group for women, and it's called Sisters on the Fly. And these women, uh, it started out, This it's a group, uh, started out with two real-life sisters in 1999, and uh, they bought these cute little campers, and they were fly fisher women and adventure women, and, and they decided they wanted to um, uh, have a club and have, you know, some of their friends go, and one year there was 10 and then another year there was like 
100. And now there's a, there's like 8,000 women all over the world that belong to Sisters on the Fly. And I remembered that I had seen a story on the news about them and that someone had written a book about them. So, and, you know, wipe my eyes. It's three in the morning. I have my iPad. And so I look up on Amazon.com and I find the Sisters on the Fly book and I bought it and sent, had it expedited overnight. And uh, when it came, I threw it in my suitcase because I knew after a week I was going to be going down to be with my children. So um, when I got down to Denver to be with them after the funeral, I slept the first week. And then I, when I started coming back to, I pulled this book out and I would read it over and over and over again. And I realized that I had found my people. These these were people who, these were from all walks of life, and they were young, and they were old, and they were single, and they were married, and they were widows, and they were retired, and they were working, and they were mommies, and they were just everybody, and, and they wanted to... to show you that um, you can you can do anything just be, you know you don't have, you can hook up a trailer you can you don't have to have somebody do this with you you can do this on your own and so I joined them and my first uh, the week after uh, I got the book and I started reading it my daughter I was down there uh, in Denver with my daughter and my two granddaughters and they said mom it's spring break you've got us all day to yourself what do you want to do and the first thing that came to my mind is we've got to go buy a camper and she looked at me and she goes oh mom by yourself and I said, absolutely by myself, because I felt like I needed to, uh, you know, you, you, you live your life by example for your children. And I need, you know, women get left. We get left by divorce and we get left by death. And, uh, you know, statistically shows that our spouses die before we do. I needed to demonstrate to my children and my grandchildren how to be a widow. And how to stand up and uh, move forward. And how better to do that than to continue a dream that I was going to dream and that I was going to do. And, and you know, it's, it's not something that women would typically go out and do, you know, when their husband dies. But I'm anything but typical. And uh, I decided that I, you know, by God, I could do this. So that's what I did. And I went out and bought a little, I bought a 16-foot camper. It's much smaller than what we were looking at, thinking that... I I couldn't handle a big one. But did you buy it that day? We went that day. I bought it. I mean, by the end of the day, I had a camper. I mean, it was crazy. And uh, the first trip I took with it was on a Sisters on the Fly adventure. It was up uh, at the Altona Grange, and uh, Diane Smith was uh, sister number 16. I'm sister number 3537, so, there, you know, now there's almost 8,000. But sister number 16 was waiting for me when I got there because I told her, I'm a widow. I've never done anything like this. And she said, don't worry, honey, you can do anything. And uh, she met me with open arms and taught me how to back the thing up and how to hook it up and unhook it and 
and uh, and showed me that um, just because I was a widow doesn't mean I, I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. Which I think is amazing. I'm thinking about joining them. <laughs> you need to, because I'm telling you what, our motto is we have more fun than anyone, and they're not lying. It's so, and once you once you're a sister, you have sisters everywhere. You, there are sisters everywhere. That's amazing. But you did something else on your adventures. You started you started writing. Yes, I did. Just before, about three months before my husband died, um, I had started a, a, a Facebook page called Marshmallow Ranch because I was making jewelry out of silverware, antique silverware and maps and stuff. And I wanted a cute name that people would remember. And um, so I called it Marshmallow Ranch because when I was cleaning out the spare room for the studio, I came across a picture in West Virginia when they when they bale their hay. They, they're the big round bales, but they wrap them in white plastic to keep the rain off of them. And when my uh, my then four year old uh, was with me with her, my kids are sixteen years apart, and so th- uh, her her sister and her boyfriend we'd gone back to West Virginia to meet the family, and we came around this turn, and here's this big field with these big round white and my four-year-old says, my God, what is that? And, you know, my wiseacre 19-year-old says, well, that's a marshmallow ranch. That's where we, we, we grow them really big and we cut them up in little pieces and we put them in the bag and send them to the store. You know, <laughs> she's like, oh, really? And so... Uh, when I was, I had come across this picture when I was trying to come up with the name, and and that's where Marshmallow Ranch came. But then when when he died, I wished I would have had a grief mentor, someone to tell me that, you know, when you're going through the spice cabinet and you find his secret stash of jelly beans and you fall on the floor in hysterics, it's normal. Uh, someone to say there's a real thing called grief brain and you're not going to be able to remember Jack when when you know for a year or two. And I wanted, I wished I would have had somebody to do that for me, and so I decided. I was going to do that for other women. And uh, and so I just started talking to my people. I had about 400 followers on on the Marshmallow Ranch when he died. And um, now I just crossed 5,125. So, you know, there you go in three and a half years. And I, that's what I do. I write an essay every day. And uh, they're not all about grief now, but the first, uh, you know, you can go back and scroll back through my blog and watch my progress as I go through, you know, trials of dating and, um, you know, how to how to sell your house and how to do all the things that you're faced with. And and you have a, you have some exciting things happening right now too. I mean, you're. I believe you have. Uh, you're working on a book. I am. That's been really kind of cool. In the last year, um, I was uh, featured in a, a full page article in the um, New York Times in the uh, finance section uh, on an article about widowhood and retirement because I went ahead and retired. Um, uh, you know, it's much more fun to play than it is to work. And, you don't uh, have to tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And so I was in the New York Times. And then from that, I was asked to speak at the International Conference on Positive Aging in Washington, D.C. 
in August, which was really exciting. And then I was on Fox News in an article about people who live in their campers full time. And uh, it because kind of changing the face of it so that we, you know, we're not riffraff or, you know, we're doing this out of a choice. And from that, I got contacted by this woman who said her fiance had been doing research for an article and stumbled on my story on uh, Fox News. And from that, he, he came to her and he says, you got to read this woman's writing. She's she's really cool. And so she went on my blog and wrote to me and said, uh, I'm really intrigued by your writing. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Uh, I'm a literary manager. And uh, have you ever given any thought to writing a book? And I'm like, well, heck yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now. I have an I have a, a contract with an agent and I'm working on this book and building my social media numbers, which is like frenzy, but you know, it's really fun. That is so amazing. So how can people find you? They can find me right now on uh, on Facebook. Just look up Marshmallow Ranch. It's spelled just like the marshmallows that you that you toast over a fire, you know. Eventually, I'll have my own website, marshmallowranch.com. I'm working on it. I cannot tell you um, how much I appreciate you coming on and telling your story. You are you're changing you're changing what grief looks like, and in that you're you're still living, um, even though you live through a tragedy um, and lost someone you love deeply. Man, what. What an adventure you you are on, and I you ins- you're you're actually very inspiring. Oh, thank you. You know, I I go with this with the premise that um, just because he died doesn't mean I did, and um, I feel like I owe it to his memory to live the days that I've been given that he wasn't given. And so, I mean, I mean, really live them. And so I need to live twice as hard and I need to love twice as much and I need to laugh twice as often so that I can make up uh, for what he didn't get to have. I think that is a perfect way to be remembered. I really do. He's a, he was an awesome man. Uh, I can tell. I, I just listening to your stories. Um, I so appreciate you. Thanks for coming on and, and telling your story. I wish you so much. I cannot wait to purchase your book. Um, and I'm probably going to purchase two. I'm going to send you one. I'd love for you to sign it for me. Awesome. And I will do whatever I can to help you continue to change how people um, look at grief and get, move through that healing process. I applaud you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.